0: Welcome to 2018, as it is a joy to come together and uh, as we celebrate uh, just what God has done for us and how He continues uh, to lead us forward. I invite you to take out the connection card that is before you. It is a blue card in the front of the pew, and take a minute and fill that out. We would love to be able to stay in touch with you as we might receive some prayer requests that we keep in mind uh, this week, or maybe you are a guest here with us this morning, and this would get, give us some information if you want to leave us an, a, an address or an email address, and we could give you a, an official welcome to the church. In fact, if you are a guest here with us this morning, I would invite you to make your way to the Connection Central booth after the service and pick up a gift and uh, some information about the church, and, uh, and, and we just are really happy that you are here with us this morning. I might want to draw a couple att- uh, our attention to a couple announcements, and um, first of all, there is choir rehearsal today after the service, and there was also a baby shower, and so keep those things in mind. But this week is, uh, we have a, f- a few different, we have a couple different memorial services, but I also might want to recognize uh, the homegoing of mieko sujimoto who was the wife of pastor robert who served as the interim pastor of our Nichigo congregation and uh and so please remember pastor robert and uh and his family as they uh are in this time of grief and when memorial service is uh, available i'll make that, that information known to you but this week we uh Keep in mind that Paul Saito's memorial service is on Wednesday morning, and then uh, Emmy Curiemia's service is on Friday morning this week. So those are a couple things to make announce uh, to draw your attention to. I also just want to recognize, as Pastor Steve gave the welcome this morning, that Pastor Steve and Esther are here with us for the first time this morning. So maybe I'll have Pastor Steven and Esther uh, stand that we can welcome them together. The little guy is Justice, and you'll see Mateo running around here as well. We have uh, several little people running around, and Mateo will make himself known. I can promise that already. He is an active little guy, and... You know what? I think he gets that from his dad, because Pastor Steve this week just jumped right into everything. Uh, he started this week, and he has been meeting with people and going out of his way to, uh, to get to know people. And uh, I told someone this week, uh, one thing I can think we can be sure of, Pastor Steve will not be the type of person that will have to just keep pushing and say, get to work. Pastor Steve is a very hard worker, and to me, that is uh, a real blessing. In fact, I went into Pastor Steve's office this week, and I look around, and his books are all in order, and he's got everything organized on his desk, and I'm thinking, you've done more in one week than I have done in six and a half years. My my office is a mess. (laughs) He's all organized and ready to go, and so I am very thankful. Actually, I have a lot of joy this morning. Because I am very thankful that Pastor Steve is here. And it just feels like just such an answer to prayer. And uh, the pastor's search process was a very long process and uh, a lot of prayers. And so it is a joy to have Pastor Steve and Esther and Justice and Mateo with us today. You know, being I'm in this reflective mood uh, right now as we welcome Pastor Steve and being the first Sunday of the new year just thought I might take a moment and state where I, I look at the church and just kind of the big picture, and I think where we are at as a congregation and as the church, and think of some of the strengths that we have as a congregation. When I look out over the congregation, I see just this wonderful group of, of support. I think of our church a very loving and supportive church. I mean, we have a real sense of community here, and the idea that, uh, that we have within our congregation uh, a, a group that encourages one another. Think of our, our leadership, I think we have very good lay leaders and our staff, and just God has blessed us in so many ways. And then as we went through the pastor search process, it was an opportunity for us to, to reflect on what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are, and and maybe areas of the church that God is causing us to grow in. And uh, and Pastor Steve and I have prayed together, and we have met with leaders, and we've and even in the search process, we began to see God. God, give us wisdom on what are you calling us to do in the next steps. Where are you calling us to go? And so I I want to just highlight a couple things that I sense, and I think I can speak on behalf of our our staff and our leadership that these are areas some maybe some specifics that in 2018 that we might have as as goals according to the Lord's leading one of the goals that we set forth is the idea to grow in short-term missions that God would help us to grow in increasing our vision of what God is doing around the world we might grow in short-term missions we might grow in community missions. That we recognize that there are needs in the neighborhood right around us. Areas that as a church that we might be able to reach out into the community and the neighborhood around us. To grow in evangelism and outreach. As we went through the pastor search process, one of the things that we recognized was this is an area of weakness that we need to grow in to have a strategy for evangelism and outreach. To grow in the area of ministry involvement, to have a process along these lines. And as people come into our church, or maybe even those that have been in our church for a long time, to be able to sense that they are serving, not just to plug a need, but serving according to the calling that God has given them. According to how he has created them and according to how he has gifted them and all of these things. And so we speak of God's calling towards individuals and we speak of God's calling for a church. And I highlight that idea of calling because I really believe that maybe as we enter a new uh, stage in the life of our church, how much we need God's calling. It is very easy in one's personal life and even in the life of the church to rely on one's uh, own understanding or one's own wisdom, especially as a church. But when we think of our own lives as Christians, but man, as a church, we have to seek the, call, the direction of God, that God would move us forward in the ways that he would have us to go, that God would call us. In light of this conviction about being called by God, we are going to start a new sermon series today on the book of Jonah. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, which a lot of us are, we've known this story since we were little kids in the Sunday school class. Jonah is a popular story. It is a story of God calling someone to go, and Jonah is not a very is has not received this call well, but it is a calling that God has put on his life, and He calls him to go to the city of city of Nineveh. And we know that Jonah re- rejects that call and he tries to flee from God. And in the midst of that, he is thrown off the ship in a, in a big storm and he is swallowed by a great fish. After three days, he's spit up on the shore and then finally makes his way to this evil city and the city repents. But through it all, we see a, we see a man who is called by God and not very successful. And so I put this forward, we're going to spend the next several weeks on the book of Jonah, but not because he's this model that we want to follow, but because he reminds us of how we need the call of God in our lives and how dependent we are upon him. It is a call for us to be trained in humility, to seek the voice of God, to have God direct us. And in the midst of that, there is great benefits. There is tremendous benefits for us individually and for us as a church. And so I might put this forward as a foundational principle. And I invite us as a congregation to receive this. That following the call of God is key to sensing the smile of God in your personal life and in the life of our church. And that is our hope, that we would have a sense of God's presence and God's gaze upon us, and we would sense His joy. That there would be tremendous joy as we have confidence that we are in the center of God's will. That we sense God's smile upon us. And that we would move forward in that way. Jonah is not a person that moves forward with joy. Because he is outside of God's will. But yet if we are to see these things that are laid out before us, the the things that I have mentioned about short-term missions and community missions, about our outreach and evangelism and ministry involvement, if we are to be successful in these things, it is because God has called us and because we have God's heart of grace. And so in the sermon series that we are entitling Jonah, Getting God's Heart of Grace, it is our prayer that we would look at this and that we would seek to follow God in ways that are obedient, that we would, be, uh, that we would hear the voice of God to us personally, and to us as a church. And so this is the sermon series, Jonah, getting a heart uh, for God's grace. Let's look at Jonah together. Jonah chapter 1. We'll jump in right at verse 1, 1 through 3. If you are using a pew Bible before you, it is a tiny little book. Four chapters. Each chapter is actually very small. And so it's a small book um, uh, in what we call the Minor Prophets, Pew Bible, page 774. Table of contents are your friends. uh, The the table of contents is your friend when you're looking for these little books. Uh, So don't be afraid to use it. But if you're using a Pew Bible, 774. Let's read this together. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Let's take a minute and ask God's blessing upon today's message. Father God, we are just even on first reading of this, we are aware that it is very easy to, spiritually speaking, to move away from your presence, to flee from you. And so God, right now we just humble ourselves before you and we ask and we pray that you would help us to not move away from your presence, but to move into your presence that right now as we look at your word, that you would fill this place and that you would touch each of our hearts no matter where we are at, that we could uh, hear from you, that just as you called Jonah, that you would speak to us and that we would move forward with obedience. We pray that you would give us strength along these lines, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, uh, Jonah is in the section of the Bible called the Minor Prophets, but It's not called minor because he is insignificant. It's called minor because it's a very small book. Uh, But Jonah actually seems to be a very significant prophet. We have one other verse uh, uh, that mentions him in the Bible. And so in this one verse from 2 Kings, we actually learn some pretty helpful information, some background information. I'll read this, 2 Kings 14.25. Jeroboam... Israel. i'm providing that information from the context we know that is that is who's being talked about here was the one who restored the boundaries of israel from from labo hamath to the dead sea in accordance with the word of the the god of israel spoken through his servant jonah son of amittai the prophet from gath hefar hefar so we're given the, the same name. We know this is the same person. Not only is his name given, but his father's name is given. Exactly as it is in Jonah, Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. Jonah, son of Amittai. And another thing we see in this passage that I think is pretty significant is that Jonah speaks the word of the Lord. He is a prophet. And, he, and uh, it says here that in, he spoke in accordance with the word of God and he spoke the word to the king. He must have been an important prophet. He had the audience of the king. And the king heard his prophecy and actually uh, put it into practice and it changed public policy. It says that uh, they were, because of the word of the Lord, Israel's borders were restored and secured, which is a major thing for a nation like Israel, who is surrounded by enemies and oftentimes at war. And so this is an important prophet. And now and we see that he is hearing from the word of we hear that he is hearing from God himself. And so this morning I want to point out three principles for following God's call because that is where the book of Jonah starts with the call of God. In, in verse 1 it says now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying and then the message is given. The first principle I want to highlight is that we are to rightly hear the call of God. Jonah knew how to hear from God. He was a prophet. And at the core of what it means to be a prophet is to hear from God. And, And so this was one of the main qualifications. Jonah was able to rightly hear from God. And so when it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, we shouldn't be surprised. God speaks to his prophets, and Jonah is one of his prophets. Now, what about us as as God's children? Does God speak to us? I think that we ought to expect God to speak to us. In fact, we ought to expect for God to direct us in the ways that we would have us to go. And sometimes God does that in very significant, uh, powerful ways. We think of dreams and visions. But usually God speaks in what the Bible calls a still, quiet voice. Oftentimes that voice of God is very subtle. It may, you may hear the voice of God in a conversation with a friend, maybe even a song you hear on, a ra- on the radio or during a sermon or when you're reading uh, God's Word, the Bible, or, or maybe just an impression upon your own heart. And I'll have to admit that, you, that for me, and I'm sure you can resonate with this, that this still, quiet voice is sometimes hard to discern between what is in my own mind and heart and what God may be speaking to me. How do you tell the difference between what you think in your own mind and the voice of God when he speaks in such subtle ways at times? I honestly have wrestled with that. And I found there to be help from a, a tradition of Christians, the Quakers have a track record record, for hearing from God in very remarkable ways. In fact, the Quakers have been uh, have heard God's voice in ways that are probably pretty unique among most Christians. Some of you know that the Quakers were the ones that went out of their way to help the Japanese during World War II internment. Why is it that they were able to do this and so many other Christians did not do this? It was for, simply for one reason: they heard the call of God. And they responded in obedience. And so they have this rich history, and I went back and I've researched this, and, I, and, the, and I've, they have several tests for discerning if something is God's voice, and I'll give you five of them this morning. The first test they have is what they call the test of Scripture. is what they're hearing in accordance with what the Bible says. If you sense that the Lord is speaking to you, But it goes against the word of God. Right there, you know, that is not God's voice. God never contradicts what he says in his word. The test of scripture, very helpful. Number two, the test of love. Is what you are being called to the most loving thing to do? You see, a lot of times we're motivated to do things outside of love. It could be out of wanting self-recognition it could be out of tradition this is what we've always done it could be out of even a sense of want of revenge or, or wanting to uh, get back at someone or something along these lines but there are all kinds of motivations the voice of god always speaks always calls us to acts of love the test of love number 3 the test of weighty friends now that is very much Quaker language, but I think you can understand, what do other strong Christians sent, do other strong Christians sense the same thing? As we hear the voice of God, you go and you receive the counsel of good Christians, strong Christians who uh, know the voice of God. Do they affirm the same thing? The, ca- the test of consolation. Do you have a peace about it? As you move in a certain direction, is your heart filled with anxiety, or does it have peace? The voice of God, the call of God, gives us a sense of peace. And then lastly, the fifth fifth test is the test of uniqueness. Does this seem like something you would come up with? Or is this something of God's wisdom? Oftentimes, God's God's call is different than what we would have expected. Maybe there is a uniqueness to it. I want to share with you a little, a personal story that's especially at the forefront of my mind today as we welcome Pastor Steve. One of the biggest decisions, and I really felt like I needed God's uh, direction in my life, when Pastor Rick came and to talked to me and he told me before he even announced to the, to the congregation that he was going to retire. And he asked me if I would apply to be the senior pastor. And so I needed to go before the Lord, and I I really wanted to have a sense of God's leading. I'll be honest with you. At at first, I I just assumed God was going to direct me to apply for the senior pastor role. But I had a sabbatical coming up, and so I told Pastor Rick, let me pray about it, and I'll get back to you after the end of my sabbatical. So So I began to pray about it, and over my sabbatical, I prayed and prayed, and I'll be honest, the more I prayed about it, I did not have a peace that God wanted me to apply for that role. In a sense, it was the test of consolation. There was no peace in my heart that this is the way the Lord was directing me to go. But just to be diligent, I called together a, a group of friends that I really trust, people that I, that I believe to be godly men and women who hear from the Lord and, and who have no agenda for my life. that would not want to influence me to apply or not to to apply and we gathered together and and over the course of one evening we spent time praying about it and talking about it and at the end of the meeting there was a consensus that we felt like this was not god's leading the test of weighty friends so to speak and so i went back after my sabbatical and i told pastor rick what i was thinking and uh He said, well, why don't you go back and write yourself a job description? You know, if you were to be the senior pastor, write a job description of what you would want to do, because I gave him reasons why I didn't feel like the Lord was leading me along those lines. So I sat down and I wrote a job description, and then I decided to write a job description for what would have been my associate pastor. And I got done writing it, and I looked at it, and I said, this is not a senior pastor, associate pastor. This is a co-pastor. But that's not what I set out to write. I never intended to do that. That was never in the back of my mind. And I looked at that and I thought, you know what? There is some uniqueness to this and I take it as from the Lord. Because it would have never been something I would have sought on my own. The test of uniqueness. It just felt like God was in it and I presented it to Pastor Rick and I presented it to Bob and to other leaders in the church and there and we began to have a sense of this is of the Lord so I bring all of that up as an example that is an encouragement to me because I feel like God spoke to me through that process and that was helpful to me and I believe that God speaks to us still today and we went back and we tested it against scripture and we tested it with the test of love and all of these things we felt like we had heard the voice of God and so that gives me confidence. I hope that gives us confidence as a church as we move forward. But I am sure that Jonah, if he were to put the call of God upon his life, he knew exactly what God was calling him to do. It wasn't that he was questioning it. It was that he did not want to receive it. He had no desire to go to the, to the Ninevites. Now Jonah had received a voice for, uh, call from God before that he was very obedient to, but this one he said, "Forget it." The Ninevites were not Israelites. Every prophecy jo- Jonah had given so far had been to his own people, and now this was to a wicked and corrupt people. In fact, the uh, Nineveh is described here in verse two as a great city, but it was not because of their spirituality or morality. In fact, God goes on to say, because they had done great evil, they were great because they were strong. They were a capital city in Assyria. They had a strong military, but they were known for being cruel and corrupt. Their military captured people, and they were very cruel to their POWs, and they were known for being corrupt for having a lot of prostitution and immorality within the nation. And so Jonah uh, hears this call of God. He says, why would I even give the Ninevites a chance to repent? I just as well have them face God's judgment and be destroyed. And so he said, to hell with Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. And I hear that, and I hear what Jonah does, and it causes my my own heart to shudder. Because I think, you know what, even if God were to speak to us and give us his call, it is very easy, and in fact it can be a very strong temptation not to follow that call. And so the first point is to rightly hear the voice of God, but the second point is just as important, and that is to be fully obedient to the call of God. I have to imagine that Jonah could have, in some ways, justified what he is doing and said, at least I'm being partially obedient. Verse 2 says, arise, go. Verse 3 says, Jonah ar- arose to go, to flee. He got up and he was headed so- somewhere, but he wasn't fully obedient. He, was go- he decided he was going to choose the destination, and he jo- chose to go to Tarshish. Why Tarshish? I don't know but maybe it had something to do with the nature of the city. Tarsus was an exotic city. First Kings 10 says the King Solomon had a fleet fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Haram. Once every three years the fleet of ships of Tarshish now it only once every three years imagine how much there must have been Every three years, Solomon got all he needed. He would have these uh, ships come back, and he used to come back bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Does that not sound like an exotic city? My kids love peacocks. We got some peacocks in the community I live, and we go on walks. They these big colorful birds. I can, remember, I can imagine peacocks walking around the palace in King Solomon's court, and King Solomon's eating from plates of gold and drinking from cups of silver. And Tarsus and, and Jonah said, if I'm going to go anywhere, I might as well go to Tarshish. At least there, it seems like ministry would be fun and exciting. When I, was, I, was, I went to a Christian college, and when I was in college, they really promoted all kinds of short-term missions trips. And I remember looking at the list, and I'm thinking, if I'm going to go to a, a short-term missions trip, I might as well go somewhere exciting. Might as well go to Africa or South America. They even had trips to the Caribbean. Caribbean needs missionaries, right? I'm going to the Caribbean. Now, I say that. I never did do an exotic trip, but it sure sounds fun, right? And uh, Jonah must have felt the same way. He's headed to Tarshish. But the problem is, that's not where God wanted him to go. And so, verse 3 makes it very clear Jonah uh, purchase his, purchases his ticket to this faraway city, it is to flee from the Lord. Actually, I think I had a map. I, let me just show you this, because if we're going to spend 10 weeks in this book. Uh, here's the map. There is Joppa, that's the travel agency, figuring out where he's going to go. He's supposed to go to Nineveh. Now, you can get to Nineveh by foot. It'll take you a couple weeks, but uh, it's not nearly as far as Tarsus. Tarsus, you gotta go by boat, and that's exactly where he decided to go. And as he goes, it is with the is it is with the understanding that he is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Verse three, just in case we uh, don't, just so we don't miss it, says the same thing. Two times, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then again at the end of the verse, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah was a prophet. Surely he had some good theology. He knew full well not, he could not literally get away from the presence of the Lord. The God was omnipresent. What he was seeking to escape from was the gaze of God upon his life. He did not want the sense that God was with him. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The Hebrew word for presence here is literally face. Jonah did not want God's face upon him any longer. And the face of God is fundamental for us having the pleasure of God in our lives. Just as we laid forth as a foundational principle, following the call to God is key to sensing the smile of God in your personal life and in the life of our church. When Chelsea and I were expecting our first child, the doctor told us that we should go to a breastfeeding class at the hospital. And I wasn't too excited about this. I thought, I'm not going to be doing much breastfeeding. I don't think I need to go to this, this class. But this was our first child, and uh, and Chelsea wanted me to go. So, as a dutiful husband, I tagged along, and the class actually turned out to be very interesting. And uh, one of the things I learned in the class was that a, li- a little baby infant, for the for the first week of his or her life, uh, his eyes can only focus on things that are eight to twelve inches away. Any closer, it's a blur. Any farther away, it's a blur. And you think about a little nursing baby, and her her eyes are exactly 8 to 12 inches away from the face of her mother. I heard that and I thought, wow, now that has to be of God. That seems like such a remarkable thing, that this little baby, the only thing that he or she can see is the face of mom. And the class went on to explain that that is so important because in the first week of this little child's life, these things, the, this child is going to learn things that will form them, their personality, and direct them for the rest of their lives. In the face of mom, they are going to learn that they are loved and that they are cared for, that they are safe in this big, scary world outside of the mom's womb, that they are important. And all of these things these uh, thoughts came rushing back to my ma- my mind when I learned that the Hebrew word for presence here is God's face. If it is so important for a child to learn these principles from the face of of one of of his or her mom or dad, how important is it that we learn these exact same things in the presence of God's face himself? That when we are before God's face, we learn that we are loved and that we are cared for. That we are safe in this big, scary world. That we are important uh, in in God's plan. And so it is very important that we spend time before God's face every day. Today is the first Sunday of the new year. I don't know if you make New Year's resolutions but I ask that you make one resolution at least, and that is to be resolved to, to the best of your ability every day. Spend time before the face of God. Maybe it's even 10 or 15 minutes. You open up the Bible and you read God's Word and you spend time in prayer and you meditate on the fact that God loves you. 10, 15 minutes, or maybe, you, maybe your New Year's resolution is going to be, I'm going to bump it up, I'm going to spend... 30 or 60. The, important, the, the number is not important. The fact that the more time we can spend before the face of God, the more we will grow in our knowledge of him and of ourselves, of how God loves us and he has created us and that he cares for us. And it is time before God's face that gives us strength, the face all of life's storms all of life's difficulties. It gives us strength to love and care for others because we are now learning that we are loved and cared for by God himself. And so there's nothing more important than you can, that you can do than to spend time in God's presence. Make that New Year's resolution today that you are going to every day spend time before the presence of God. Now if this is so important to be in god's presence why would anyone flee jonah is not unique in trying to flee from god people do it every day in fact if we are honest our lives vacillate between seeking god and fleeing from god and why is that well maybe here are some reasons we flee because we have a sense of guilt that we feel guilty Adam and Eve in the garden, they fled from God. They tried to hide from God because they felt guilty over their sin. And maybe Jonah does the same thing. He knows he's supposed to go to Nineveh, and so he's seeking to flee from the presence of God. And when we have a sense of guilt, there is, it is not always the most enjoyable thing to be before the presence of God. Or maybe we feel inadequate. Jonah felt uncomfortable preaching to the Israelites, but uh, Jonah felt comfortable preaching to the Israelites but to the cruel and corrupt Ninevites, Ninevites there was fear struck in his heart I can't preach to them I can preach my own people but I can't go to this wicked people and maybe we say similar things I can't witness to my neighbor I can't serve in Sunday school I can't uh I can't teach I'm too shy I'm too embarrassed or whatever it is we, we feel like we don't have the skills but the thing is And so we flee the call of God. We flee God's presence. God's call is never easy. We feel inadequate. We feel guilty. We feel apathetic. Jonah does not have a passion for the Ninevites. Heck, he doesn't even like them. And yet apathy is oftentimes what keeps us from God's presence as well. We don't have the passion, and so we don't take the time. We're like the church in Laodicea who is described as being lukewarm. Or maybe it is simply that we feel tired, that we're emotionally worn out and spiritually dry. I can identify with that. Sometimes we just get so worn out, for some reason I don't feel like pursuing God or being in His presence. It almost seems daunting. I'd rather veg out in front of the TV. But the ironic thing is that when we look at this list, But the presence of God is actually the solution to every one of those things. It is in the presence of God that we are relieved of our guilt. It is in the presence of God we realize that what God is calling us to do does not depend upon us, but that He will actually give us strength. It is within the presence of God that our emotional tank is filled, that we are filled with passion for Him. And that it is in the presence of God that we find rest for our souls. And so all of these things, I recognize they are very legitimate f- uh, feelings. But none of these things rests upon ourselves. Just as Jr. preached last week, Jesus is the ultimate and final covenant maker. It ultimately depends upon the Lord. And so as we learn, in the, as we go forward in the Jonah story, I just want us to re- uh, be reminded that there will be ups and downs. Jonah has his own ups and downs. But God doesn't give up on us. He continues to call us into his presence. I mentioned the church of Laodicea, Revelation 3.20. Again, God's speaking to this church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me we are going to have a time to eat with God. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. In a very literal way, we're going to eat a little piece of bread and drink a little cup of juice. And these are symbolic, that we are in the presence of God. And it is a time for us to meditate on God's love for us and God's call upon us. I encourage you that as we take of the Lord's Supper, That you make a decision this morning. Jesus is, just as he did in Revelation 3, he is continuing to knock on the door of our hearts. That we would open that door and we would receive Jesus in. And so that leads us to our final point. Rightly hearing the call of God, being fully obedient to the call of God. And thirdly, to make a decision to follow the call of God. And that's what I'm going to encourage us to do as we begin this new year with the Lord's Supper. That you might take this time just to think in your own heart. What is God calling you to? And is he inviting you into his his presence? And to make that decision, will you receive the call? Will you invite Jesus in? Will you be obedient? I'm going to ask Andrew to leave these reasons to flee up on the board as we take the Lord's Supper. You might even just ponder each of these things, the feeling of guilt, of inadequacy, of apathy, of tiredness, and find their solution at the foot of the cross, in the blood of Jesus. But rather than receiving God's presence because of what he can do for us, I invite you to receive God's presence simply for God himself because surely Jesus is a so let's prepare our hearts i'm going to ask the ushers to prepare to come forward for the giving of or for the for the Lord's supper and as they do i just invite you to now begin to quiet your hearts take a moment and to meditate on the